Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from RNZ Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In the program this week, Wayne Smith says yes to another stint with the All Blacks. He tells us just what brought him around. Rennie Rangers back with the Blues and eyeing an All Black spot. We head to Rio as New Zealand Olympic team chef to mission Rob Waddell carries out one final inspection of facilities ahead of August's Games. Sailors Peter Burling and Blair Chuk discuss their Rio selection. And to five strong New Zealand teams contesting the World Indoor Athletics Champs in Portland and Oregon this weekend, we catch up with shot putter Tom Walsh. The All Blacks defence coach Wayne Smith has taken the plunge and recommitted to the All Blacks after being persuaded to stay on by head coach Steve Hanson. Smith, who had previously had a brief spell as head coach and a longer one as assistant coach, Returned to the All Blacks set up before last year's World Cup in charge of defence and turnover attack. His role will now be expanded. Smith had planned on taking an extended break following New Zealand's successful title defence. However, speaking to Hanson about the challenges facing the All Blacks in the post-World Cup era has convinced him to recommit to the team. He told Joe Porter that a camper van holiday with his wife helped reinvigorate him and the challenge of helping the All Blacks rebuild after the departures of veterans Richie McCaw, Dan Carter, Ma Nonu, Conrad Smith, Tony Woodcock and Kevin Mialamu was irresistible. I knew that I needed a bit of a break after the World Cup. I'd had a lot of years consecutively. wanted to go away in a motorhome with my wife, serve out of the country, reconnect with people. And so doing that was the best thing I've ever done. Like I, I didn't have anything to go to, so I had nothing to plan for. And it gave me the total and utter recovery, I suppose, that I was after. And so at that point, at the end of that couple of months, I was having a couple of conversations with people, and Steve was one of them. The idea was mooted, you know, that maybe I should keep going, given the changes coming up in the team, you know, with, with the big six centurions all leaving. Um, and it was a compelling case, and I was feeling, you know, I'm feeling really fresh and excited and ready to go again. So it's a team I love, country I love people I love, so um, it was a pretty pretty easy decision in the end. Look, I've really taken interest in your comments surrounding trying to replace the chemistry in the team after losing those veteran players. Uh, like you say, replacing the athlete and some of the skill sets involved is, is, is fairly straightforward in some respects, but such an unscientific quantification, the chemistry of a player, I mean, it is, it is very difficult, I guess, to try and replicate that or maintain it when you lose so many players. A bit of an un- unknown for you guys, perhaps. Yes, and it's, it's a key to perform, one of the biggest keys to performance. Um, you know, you, not only did you have great players who played over 100 games, that's counting Conrad, who got to 94, um, but um, all that group had massive will, to win, you know, which is which is really important. Um, sometimes you're not good enough technically or tactically or whatever, but it's the will that gets you home. And I think 
we had the biggest will in the world for um, for the last eight years, and so that's that's something that you need to cultivate. Um, also, the experience, um, the nous, the brains, you know, the, the tactical ability of those of those guys, and the way they they drove each other, and therefore drove the team, was absolutely massive. You, you can't under undervalue what they did um, when they were in the All Black jersey. So. Yeah, getting that right. That they're intangibles, you know, that um, you've just got to spend a lot of time on. Got to make sure that that the current players who have been part of the leadership group take over those roles, and that we we turn these new All Blacks that'll have to come into the environment into good All Blacks. When you look at those new All Blacks who will potentially come into the side this year, do you take into consideration their attitude and I guess how you think they will, uh, whether or not that attitude will be conducive to the All Blacks environment, or do you back the All Blacks environment to be so strong and so well cultured that no matter who you bring in, you can effectively turn them into the player and man, so to speak, you want? Yeah, that, that's a really good question because that, that's the chicken and the egg scenario, isn't it? Where um and I think the answer is a bit of both. You certainly you look at players' character, and you can you can tell that from watching them play. Clearly, there are other you know you can talk to the coaches, you can you can review their past, and um, there's a mantra that's been held by the All Blacks for for a long time um, that better people make better All Blacks. So, uh, and that still holds true. So you're always looking for um, good people, great attitude huge personal meaning about what they're doing and a, a preparedness, A, to be coached and open to ideas and B, to help help their teammates. You know, and that's a big thing in the All Blacks that is almost unique, I think, is that players competing for the same position help each other. And so effectively they're helping others to take over their role and so it causes them to, to be better themselves. So the whole thing is like a mentoring program in the All Blacks, that, that whole environment where... You're there to make others better, help others get better, and so um, it's, it's a really special environment to be in. So I think, yeah, I think a bit of both. You, you pick the right people, and then you create an environment that um, inspires them to to be even better. And you talk about losing individuals who are potentially, if not the best, one of the best in the world in their positions, but also combinations when you look at guys like Ma and Conrad together. Uh, just the communication and I guess that unspoken understanding between players, is that something that also I suppose you'll find difficult to uh, to replace? Yeah, potentially. Um, so those players, as you say, um, huge together, huge individually, not just in this current generation, they'll go down in history, all those six players um, of, of Daniel, Richie, Woody, Kevin Milamu, um, Mayer and Conrad, they'll all go down in history as some of their greatest. So, um, and it's, it's a lot of it's combination. So even even though Daniel didn't play um, any Super Rugby with Manonu, they had an incredible rapport between the two of them. They understood what each other wanted, um, and of course, Mayer and Conrad had that as a second five centre. So. Um, I, I think that's massive, personally. Um, it's something you need time to develop. Um, of course, you can look for existing combinations and um, and bring them in, but um, effectively you need time for, for that to, to work. And, and that's always been the job, and the All Blacks have to accelerate that process. You know, you haven't got a lot of time, so 
um, being able to accelerate it and, and getting there quicker is, is the key. And when you have guys who are stepping into leadership roles who are potentially quite different to the guy they may have been replacing in terms of whether or not they're talkers or they prefer to lead by example, if they're not naturally suited, I guess, to being the stand-up-in-front-and-make-a-speech type leader, do you try and teach them how to become one or do you create a team unit, you know, stitching all those parts together between the players? Yeah, we we, we very much believe that leaders aren't born. You know, they're they're created. Um, And as long as they've got the the character and and the value set, um, to, to be role models then you, you can teach them all that stuff and um, I think Steve's been really smart in the way he's had a lot of the young guys as part of the leadership group so they've been mentored by the Richies and the Daniels and, and the Kevies and those people and now it's their time to do that to others so um, they'll they'll still be in the leadership group they'll, they'll take a more senior role in that group but there'll be others coming so it's a it's a never-ending process really. Are results as important as that development this year? How do you kind of balance that when you're trying to you know still win? Yeah well the job with with the All Blacks has always been that it's always been make the adaptations, cater for the change and still win and that's the expectations and whilst that puts puts a lot of pressure on the team it's also what's made the All Blacks great. That's All Blacks assistant coach Wayne Smith talking to Joe Porter. Now, one player who's likely to be in contention for the All Blacks this season is Rennie Ranger. Ranger's back playing for the Blues, having spent the past couple of seasons in France playing for Montpellier. He played three tests for the All Blacks, but left in 2013 just when he seemed assured of a regular spot. Matt Chatterton caught up with Ranger and asked him about his All Black aspirations. It's a bit, a bit touch and go at the moment. He's a bit unpredictable. <laughs> a bit hard to read, old Tano, but... Um... I guess he's keeping all the players honest, and you know, and then um, I guess the rewards are on performance. So, you know, the more you perform, the more chance you get of starting. And for me, um, I guess it's just doing doing my little 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 core roles properly if I, if I want to cement centre. And um, probably for me, trying to adapt my game a bit more rather than. Um, Running, you know, trying to be more of a distributor and stuff yeah. like this. But you know, you got to pick and choose your moments, you know, when you're in the midfield like that. So, but uh, it's good that you know Tana keeps everyone honest and on their toes, you know, because you never know what team he's going to pick. So, midfield is uh, where you'd like to see yourself this season, though. Yeah, for the season, I'd, I'd like to try and see myself more, more, more as a centre than the wing, because. There's so many outside backs here and so so much quicker. But um end of the day you gotta play where you, where you get put I guess, but in saying that it's always handy to play at several positions. Um, I suppose when uh, when you went to France you sort of were going at sort of the height of I suppose when you were in the all blacks and you know, sort of claiming that midfield spot. Um is that a goal for this year to try and get back in that team? Yeah, I guess it's it's always it's always in the back of your head that you you wanna play for the all blacks and the only way you can do that is doing the little things right for your super and, and playing well. And then, you know, there's so many, you know, there's a bit of competition out there for, for that midfield spot in the in the All Blacks. But as most players know, in each team, you play well for super, then you know you hopefully get that opportunity to play for the All Blacks. Have you had a chat to Steve since you've been back? No, I haven't actually. Um, 
Fozzie, Fozzie came in in pre-season, had a, had, a yarn for a, had a yarn to a couple of boys and, you know, just give us, a, you know, what we can improve on, what stuff we can work on, stuff like that. So uh, it's good, you know, when you get Fozzie and someone in that, you know, giving you good information and something to work on, you know, something to look forward to. You're obviously probably one of the more older fellas in the team now with all these young fellas in the team. Do you see yourself in more of a leadership role at the at the Blues since you've been back here? Yeah, I guess I, guess I am one of the older heads, I think. But um, but uh, I try I try not to, you know, be a leader. I, I guess I try and lead by my actions, you know, more than talking because like. I like to be one of the, the the guys in the team that cracks the jokes and stuff like that. But when it comes down to you know game time, I, I like to lead with my actions rather than, rather than talking. So, but then again, you know I try and help out as much boys when they ask for for help and stuff like that. And you know that's the same with you know like the likes of Chaz and Jerome, and then even George is almost like a, a senior player now. So you know we all try and butt heads and stuff like that. And the Blues play the Queensland Reds in Brisbane this weekend with coach Tana Umanga continuing his rotation policy with Rennie Ranger not being included in the match day squad this time around. The New Zealand Olympic chef to mission, Rob Waddell, says he's confident everything will be ready in time for the Olympic Games despite behind-the-scenes chaos in Rio. Construction delays, concerns about the Zika virus and recent political unrest have cast doubts over whether or not the Games could pull through with less than five months to go. But Woodell has told Morning Report Susie Ferguson he's impressed with just how the Olympic Village is looking. We've done a number of visits to now to Rio and every time we come back we get more and more confident that uh, things are tracking well. Clearly there's, there's visible progress, um, you know, a core focus for us this time was uh, coming having a look at the Olympic Village. That's a very important part of the delivery of the Olympic Games. So we, we were impressed. I mean, you drive past the Olympic Village now, it looks very finished. You go inside and it looks largely so like it's almost there. Uh, and a few little bits and pieces being done. But uh, that's a, a really critical piece of, of the game. So we've got confidence in that and everything else seems to be on track as well. We've had a look at a number of the venues, some of them obviously at different stages, but uh, it looks like they're coming along well. Now, just talking about the village, it seems that it, for some of the athletes, is going to be a fair distance away from the venue and it's going to be quite a long piece of travelling time for them. Do you have any concerns in that sort of territory? Oh, well, that's something you need to look at every Olympic Games you go to. And this is, uh, this is the first Olympic Games for a while, which has just got one single Olympic village. In previous games, often you've had satellite villages for rowing or sailing and, and some of the other sports because they've, they've been a long way away. So uh, everything is concentrated in Rio, and it is close. Uh, it is close than it has been in previous games. Uh, obviously, not everything's just down the road. In some respects, we've had to spend more time travelling than others, and we've worked through each sport individually with the sports themselves to understand what they need to do to um, to minimise any performance impact. Um, and so, you know, in that space, we're confident that uh, we've been well prepared and um, and thought ahead. There have been an, an awful lot of concerns about the water cleanliness, and this is particularly for the rowers, I guess. Are you reassured that everything is being done and that it will be safe for the men and women on the water? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, uh, water quality has been something that's been talked about a lot in the media and something we've uh, watched closely. Probably the first thing you, you want to ensure is that the field of play will be fair and that it will be safe, and we've got uh, high confidence that that will be the case. Uh, the, the two main venues affected have been sailing and rowing, 
Uh, they have varying degrees of contact with uh, rowing where you might get the odd splash, but obviously sailing you can end up fully immersed. Um, but it's also what might be in the water as well. Um, so look, we're, we're, we feel that um, there's been really good progress in that space. I think longer term, we obviously has a challenge, as, as many countries do around how uh, how we treat water, and and uh, they've done a lot this games. They've come a long way, and clearly uh, made significant progress. Will it be perfect at game games time? Well, that's unlikely, but we certainly think it'll be safe, and that it'll be uh, fair for athletes to be able to compete on those uh, environments. And the other major health concern, the Zika virus. Have you had any athletes coming forward? and saying to you about Zika, or indeed about the water quality, that that is putting them uh, in two minds as to whether they actually want to compete? We're regularly in contact with the, with the sport. That's, that's our job, is to be at the leading edge of this sort of discussion. And so we have shared all the information we have on both those issues you raised, um, and we've talked through you know, the processes that we need to follow around um, both the water quality and the, and the Zika virus. And so... We have uh, also had direct contact with athletes, sharing that information um, specifically that they may need to know. Um, we work closely also with the Ministry of Health, um, and not everything is known about some of these variables. So we are in the first instance making sure that people know who they need to talk to, such as their, you know, their primary medical uh, support team, uh, etc. And uh, we continue to watch that space, but we are doing a lot of things to try and be very preventative. Um, it's uh, on a positive note uh, when when the game's time is on. Traditionally, not a, a time of high incidence or, or mis- of uh, in terms of the mosquito activity, uh, but we'll certainly be making sure we're really proactive. And I know the organising committee are also doing a lot in that space to make sure that the village has minimal impact. A developing situation in Brazil. Currently, the government is being rocked by a pretty major corruption scandal. Mass protests also being seen across the country. What about security concerns? Is this something that perhaps hasn't been considered in such a major way as some of these other things, perhaps? And what's the situation? Are you confident? Well, certainly we've, we've observed uh, the protests that have been going on. We've ironically been here just to start being happening. And pleased to say that they uh, appear to be you know, demonstrations that are very peaceful. Um, there's you know, some widespread political unrest, which we're aware of, but... Uh, in terms of the games, it does appear um, quite separate, and we're confident with the organising committee that it, it, it's not having an impact on that. Uh, in general, I have to say uh, the, the feeling with the Rio Olympics is that uh, people are very positive about it. They can see the benefit of what's coming to town. They can see that there's, um, there's infrastructural improvement, there's new transport, there's new accommodation. Uh, you know, some of the moves to clean up the city's water quality have all been received in a very positive light. So. Although there has been some political unrest, um, we do feel that there's also a positive feeling about the Games just around the corner. Thinking of positive things and bringing the spirit of the Olympics, this is something that you're also doing to some underprivileged children in a community in Rio. Uh, Yes, so we've just uh, formalised a partnership this morning with a community called uh, Mangueira. Um, It's an underprivileged community um, from outside Brazil. It's probably uh, known as a favela. And uh, one in five children in Rio live in extreme poverty. Uh, Mangueira is one of those areas. And so it's the opportunity for our Olympic team to bring um, uh, that experience and, um, and some of the enthusiasm and hope and inspiration of the Olympic Games to a group of children that otherwise would not get to experience that at Games time or certainly a very limited contact. So uh, the four medal takers, our athletes, will go most likely post-competition and engage with the children, do coaching clinics, um, talk, share stories, hopefully show us a medal. 
uh, but also leave equipment and sporting gear behind uh, as a donation. Um, we're also looking at what might be able to do from a longer-term relationship and partnership with, with the community. Uh, but genuinely really excited. Um, we think there's a benefit for our athletes and the sense of perspective that it creates. Uh, often um, we can get very focused on, on the one thing that's going on in our lives and this uh, just broadens those horizons and makes us realise um, that um, we're very lucky to do what we do and there's been, um, you know, that there's uh, a lot that goes on in the Olympic spirit which we can uh, contribute to. New Zealand Olympic chef Demission, Rob Waddell talking to Susie Ferguson. The chaos in Brazil centres on the appointment of the former president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, as the chief of staff to the current president and his successor, Dilma Rousseff. Da Silva is currently under investigation on corruption charges. The world champion 49er sailors Blair Tuke and Peter Burling say there's no time for complacency in the lead-up to the Rio Games. The pair are part of five crews that have recently been named to represent New Zealand at Rio for the sailing regatta. Matt Chatterton spoke to the pair who have won their last 24 regattas since their silver medal at the London Olympics in 2012, but who are also part of the Next America's Cup campaign in Bermuda. Winning the silver in London was something we were really proud of, uh, but coming back and sharing that medal with the country and also you know, seeing John Polly win their gold medal in the national anthem, that certainly uh, was part of it for us and uh, gave us sort of motivation to try and go one better and... Uh, you know, over the last three and a half years, that's what it's, what it's all been about, really, is trying to get ourselves better, better at sailing and um, put ourselves in the best shape we can come August in Rio. So that's what it's all about, really. You guys are sort of splitting your time between uh, training for the Olympics and America's Cup. How are you guys finding that balance? Is it working out all right so far? Oh, it's something Blair and myself have been uh, with Team New Zealand now for, for a couple of years. and uh, It's something that... You know, we put a lot of planning into it at the beginning as to how we thought it would work, and we've learned a lot about you know balancing balancing the two over the last kind of couple of years, and uh, it's something that we're going to be continuing continuing on to balance them uh, through this this last kind of six months into the games, and uh, it's something that you know we see as a massive benefit to our our program having having that there, uh, you know, helping us you know, keep keep creative in this last little period, but uh, it's something that we're going to keep keep monitoring it you know through this to just make sure we don't burn out. Um, six months sort of to go now till Rio. What sort of uh, changes in the lead-up? Does your training intensify? What sort of goes on from here? No, it's worked over the last few years. So you wouldn't want to change it too much. Um, you know, we'll just keep you know a couple more trips to Rio, uh, 49er regattas in Europe, as, uh, as well as some Team New Zealand events um, in the next few months. So, no, it's uh, <clears throat> like Pete said, we just got to manage our time well, and, uh, you know, we will monitor it, but uh, we've got a pretty fixed plan um, is what we want to do over the next six months, and uh, we just got to still a lot of things we can do better to make get the boat around the track faster. So we'll keep working on those. You guys have been pretty dominant over the last sort of three and a half years. I don't think you've lost a major again. I think it's 24 on the trot now. How do you sort of keep motivated to keep getting better when you guys clearly are on the top of on top of the world? Really, I think that's one of the, the cool things about our sport. You know, you can never never be perfect, and even an event you, you go and win by a big margin, you look back at it and you can see so many things you could have done better and so many things you can improve on so uh, it's something for you know myself and Blair that's been kind of one of the mottos of our campaign really is just you know keep improving keep keep learning and keep getting better and I think it's something that we'd really prefer to be going into the games in this situation you know kind of leading from the front rather than, than trying to catch up late. Who will be the biggest competition for you guys over in Rio that Argentinian team's quite good isn't it? Yeah the Argy boys are good but they'll actually be um, down here training with us so guys that we are uh, 
do a little bit of training outside of regattas with. So, um, you know, there's, there are other countries that have been on the podium uh, before. So British guys, the Australian guys who won gold in uh, Weymouth, they'll, they're there and still going really well. So there's a handful of people, the Austrians. Um, there, are, there are a lot of people that can w- be on the podium and, and win. So, uh, you know, you can't really concentrate on them. You've just got to concentrate on us and, uh, and getting better, which we know we can do. Um, looking at the uh, Rio course, um, there's been a little bit of controversy, I suppose you'd say, around it and the state of the water over there. What was your guys' take on it and the practice you've uh, had over there? Yeah, Blair and myself have obviously spent a fair bit of time in Rio now, you know, getting used to the, the water and um, you know, how, how tricky the venue is to sail and also the on-land stuff. And, uh, it's something for us, although the, the water's not the nicest to sail in, it doesn't actually affect the racing and uh, it's something that you know, there's still still the normal things that when you're a yacht racer when you're a yacht race in Rio it's a really tricky place to sail and I'm not sure how many people have seen the, the landscape of Rio but there's a lot of hills around and it's kind of pretty similar under the water so the tides you know very uh very changeable and, and very tricky to read and I think that's something that is proving uh quite beneficial to spend a bit of time there and get used to it and get used to what you're going to have to deal with come the game. Also um the Zika virus is that guys any of a concern to you guys at all? Uh, not really. We've got the, you know, these guys from the NZOC here today, and uh, you know they've put out stuff straight away when when that came out. So no, that's something that our the sailing team sort of um, medical team will deal with over the next few months, and with NZOC. So that's we just concentrate on the sailing. Finally, guys, uh, I suppose you've uh, been trailing, uh, training, sorry, with uh, both flags for your sailboats. Any preference <laughs> on which one you like? Oh, I think uh, yeah, preferences are already out there to be honest. But you know, it's just it's pretty cool to to get them both up there and see uh, how, um, how they fly and uh, it's something that, you know, it's been pretty cool to, to be out training with them on, on the golf uh, the last couple of days. There's no difference between the two? No, uh, there's <laughs> difference between all the sails, so um, no, we'd be happy to race with either one and we've had a good few days testing now and it's just, you know, it's not something we wanted to get dragged into the politics of it, it's just another thing that added, you know, when the referendum was out there, it's another thing that's added to our sort of planning and uh, being uh, in a position where we're happy to use either one of them, um, whatever the country decides is um, where we're going to get to. So, yeah, that's what it's all about. Peter Burling and Blair Tuke talking to Matt Chatterton. Five New Zealand athletes are competing at the World Indoor Athletics Champs in Portland, Oregon this weekend. Three shot putters, Val Adams, Tom Walsh and Jacko Gill, along with middle distance runner Nick Willis and pole vaulter Eliza McCartney are lining up. Walsh threw a New Zealand residence record of 20.91 metres to win the Auckland Track Challenge last month, and a week later became the first New Zealander to throw over 21 metres on home soil when he threw 21.11 metres to see off the challenge of Jacko Gill at the National Champs in Dunedin. I caught up with Walsh ahead of this weekend's event. I'm pretty confident, you know, the way throwing's been going the last kind of week and, week and a bit has been better since, uh, since nationals and stuff like that, and I'm starting to line them up a little bit more. Um, so, it, it, look, it, it, winning a world title is, is never easy. Um, so, you know, it, it's always going to be tough, but um, it's uh, definitely a lot more confident than what I was uh, last time I, I, I threw here. World indoor champs, I mean, the fact that it is indoor, how different is that for throwers? Look, mate, it's not hugely different. You know, the only two differences, usually you throw off a wooden circle compared to a concrete circle. Um and, and, and also the arc is not quite as big as what, what it is outdoors. So apart from those two things, everything's pretty much the same, um, apart from the fact that the crowd is usually a lot closer to, to the shop at circle, which is, which is really good for atmosphere. 
might suit you a bit more because you, you like to, to to talk things up a bit and sort of get get uh, your other competitors involved in a bit of conversation, don't you? Yeah, mate. It's um, it's always good to to have a bit of banter and stuff floating around, and and me and my coach usually have a few bets here and there on on distances or or, or things like that. So um, it's, it's all you know. We, we do the sport for fun at the end of the day, and you know if we can have a bit more of it on the side and bits and pieces, it's uh, it's even better. How much of a factor do you think that is, that whole fun factor? I mean, it's obviously important for you. For most of the throwers, is it still? I mean, from what I gather from various social media things you've said, it's a reasonable group of guys that you get on with there. But is that fun factor maybe played out a wee bit more in the shot put than some of the other track and field events? Yeah, look, I think I think throws mix a little bit more than most of the other events groups. Um, you know, and... And uh, all the guys do like a few beers, and so so there's always a few more stories that come out after a few more beers. Um, so uh, look, I think I think that we do mix a little bit more, um, and, and and again that that is a good thing. You know, it's a good thing for the sport, and it's a good thing, you know, socially because most of us guys are away from home. You know, between kind of three months and six months a year. So if you you know if you can let your hair down every now and again and just have a normal conversation and not worry about athletics for a bit, it's it's good for the soul. Yeah, well, if you're not getting too much enjoyment out of it, there would uh, wouldn't seem a lot of point in the end, would there? Yeah, exactly, mate. There's there's no point. Um, you know, we, we don't make enough money just to do it for the money. So uh, you've got to have some type of enjoyment out of it. And, and along with a bit of the banter, uh, you know, I enjoy trying to throw far as well, which is the main thing. I mean, obviously Rio's the the biggie for for this year. So so where are you at? I suppose do you think form wise, and where do you need to be at? Presumably, you 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 wouldn't be at your peak right now. No, no, exactly, mate. Look, I, I started the year with a 90 centimetre improvement on, on what I've done before uh, for the first comp of the year, which I was really happy with. Uh, so I was pretty, pretty, pretty happy with that. Um, and, and I kept the ball rolling a little bit. Probably didn't quite throw as far as what I wanted to um, at New Zealand Champs and then uh, in Melbourne, but it's still pretty consistent, which was the main thing. Um, and look, there is a peak for this, and... and you know, I think if you throw something around 21.50, you're going to be pretty competitive here. So if I can throw around that, I'll be pretty happy. But as you said, mate, the big goal is, is Rio later on this year, and, and uh, that will be where the true peak is for this year. So how much is sort of are people looking over their shoulders at one another at this stage of the year and at an event like this? I mean, is there an element of maybe trying not to give too much away? No, look, mate, I think it depends what type of guy you are. I think there'll be a few cabin and mouse games Later on in the year, you know, close to the time, the stuff with guys pulling out and, and getting in comps and stuff like that. Um, at last minute, just to, if they're throwing well, they'll get in. If they don't, they'll pull out just because they'll need a few more training sessions. So yeah, at the moment, it's not a lot, but uh, it, it will be a good confidence builder, um, you know, this weekend for whoever throws well. And then after this, where, where do you head to next, Tom? Uh, well, I'm back home for about six weeks, and then um, it should be good. I'll get, catch a little bit of the winter, but not too much of it, and then. I'll be off to uh, Shanghai for my first Diamond League in mid-May, um, and then uh, and then I'll be off to the US from, from there on. The old Diamond League experience will be uh, a wee bit different. Yeah, no, look, Diamond League's experience is pretty good, mate. It's um, you know, we get treated pretty well by the Diamond League and stuff like that, and and, and in the throwing fields, so it's always pretty pretty tough fields to win in. So um, again, it's kind of a little bit like world champs. You know, you usually have to throw. 21.50 plus to, to win a Diamond League. So it's, uh, it's always good comps and it's always fun with the guys as well. I was talking to shot putter Tom Walsh, who's in Portland and Oregon, competing at the World 
indoor athletics champs this weekend. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Houston. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.